Well, once again, I want to thank you all for coming out, especially on this snowy uh, morning. Uh, before the service began, uh, I was standing in the back, the, the worship team was up here practicing, and I think there were like two people sitting in the auditorium. And one of my staff members came up to me and said, uh, hey, Pastor Butch, uh, this might be your whole uh, church this morning to preach to. And I said, well, that wouldn't be the smallest group I've ever preached to. <laughs> I remember there was a Wednesday night years ago when I was pastoring a very small church, and uh, I had a service on Wednesday night right the night before Thanksgiving. And I had one person show up. And that was my wife. <laughs> and she informed me right away. She says, I don't care how long you've worked on that message. If you think I'm sitting here and listening to you preach just to me, uh, you can have another thought coming. I've got cooking to do for tomorrow. <laughs> so I am appreciative of everyone who's made the effort to be here this morning. And for those of you who are watching us, you know, I'm appreciative of that as well. But I want you to know it's just not the same as being here with God's people and hearing together voices lifted up in praise and worship to him. And I don't know about you, but I've been blessed by the music ministry this morning. And I'm just thankful for our team and that for all that they do week in and week out. Well, I'd like to invite you to take your Bibles and join me over in Mark chapter 4. Mark the fourth chapter. We're continuing our journey through the gospel of Mark. So we said we're not doing it verse by verse, but each week we're, we will take something from each chapter. So we're going chapter by chapter, and we'll be doing this up until Easter Sunday morning. So Mark chapter well, if you would look up to the screen, what do you see? Do you see an apple core? Or do you see two faces? Or do you see both? How about this next picture? What do you see? Do you see a woman? Or do you see flowers? And how about the next picture? Do you see a duck or do you see a rabbit? Right. One or you may see both. There's only a picture, but as we look at it, some of us see different things. As we come into Mark chapter 4, the disciples are probably wondering how can there be so many different views of Jesus as his ministry is going on. Some people, including Jesus' own family, thought he had gone mad. The religious leaders of the day 
thought he was either Satan himself or certainly a, a minister of Satan. The disciples saw Jesus differently, though. He was the one that they have chosen to follow, the one that they would listen to and hear what he had to say. Mad, monster, master, all these different views about Jesus. And so with that as kind of the background, we move into Mark chapter 4, and we look, we're going to look at the first 20 verses of Mark chapter 4. And we're going to start off by looking at the parable, the parable. So follow along, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And he sowed some seed that fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. The other seeds fell unto good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the parable that is often referred to as the parable of the sower. Others refer to it, and probably more appropriately, as the parable of the soils. Jesus, in his teaching, is teaching in parables. Someone has estimated that about 35% of the teaching that we find in the Gospels that Jesus does was in the form of parables. Now we need to understand parables in order to understand this parable. A parable is like a picture. A parable is a story that is intended to illustrate or to point out one truth. A mistake that's often made in parables is trying to make everything in the parable mean something. And people begin to allegorize and say, well, this must mean this, and this must mean this, and this must mean this. And you come out with some really far out there interpretations of things that the passage is not saying at all. So keep in mind, a parable is for the purpose of letting light in that you might understand, but its purpose is generally just one point. So don't overanalyze a parable. 
Now, as we come to this parable, it is a parable that's recorded in all three of the synoptic gospels. All three tell this parable. And as Jesus begins, look at what he says in verse 3. He says, listen. He's in the midst of teaching them. He is in a boat. The crowd is on the ground. Jesus is seated as he is teaching. That was common for that day. The rabbis, those who were the teachers of the day, their form of teaching was they would sit down as they were teaching. So Jesus is doing this in the midst of his giving forth to them his word. He tells this story. But he starts it off by saying, listen, this is important for you to get. Notice how he ends the parable in verse 9. He ends the parable by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the parable is kind of bracketed in which Jesus is saying, pay attention to this. That statement, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, is used oftentimes throughout the Gospels. Jesus will say that to individuals. You have ears. Now listen to what I'm saying to you. It's interesting throughout the, the Scriptures how many times the Bible uses body parts to help get points across to us. In Romans 10.15, the feet our message. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verses 12 and 13, hands, knees, and feet are mentioned. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. In James chapter 3, in not such a flattering way, the tongue is used. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. In Matthew chapter 6, the eye is mentioned. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. In Matthew 10, in verse 30, our hairs are mentioned. Or your lack of hair is mentioned. But even the hairs on your head are numbered. Uh, that's easier for God to keep track of with some people more than with others. And then in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 and 6, the heart is mentioned. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You have ears this morning. So listen and perceive what Jesus is saying. So he talks in the parable, and in the parable we have three things that we'll need to focus on. We have the sower, the sower. And in the story, the sower goes out with the seed, and he tosses it out there. Now he's doing a form of farming that's called broadcast sowing. I looked that term up this week. I'm not a farmer. Because 
when I was younger, having grown up, when I would think of farming, I would just think of the small garden that we had at home. And this parable didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. First of all, we had a large garden, and I absolutely hated it. Well, first of all, I didn't care for most of the vegetables that my parents were growing. I mean, the only two things I really liked at that point that came out of the garden would be corn, and it didn't grow real well in our garden. And then I had the little plot that I was allowed to plant watermelons in. So I would save seeds from these big watermelons that we would get, and I would plant it, and I would end up with a watermelon that was about this size. <laughs> but what I really hated about the garden was it was the responsibility for me and my middle brother to do the weeding in the garden. Now, our youngest brother, he didn't have any responsibilities. Those of you that are the babies in the family, you know how that goes. And those of you who aren't the baby, you know how that goes. But the two of us had the responsibilities to weed the garden. And invariably, if we were in it together, we would end up throwing dirt balls at one another while we were there weeding. I actually looked up in preparation for this message whether it is necessary to weed a garden. Because I thought, why did we waste all that energy? Just let the weeds grow. Uh, well, I found out there is a reason they rob the soil of its nutrients and that. And my mom and dad had this large garden to help with food costs. And of course, they really liked all the fresh produce that would come out of it. But we never just took the seeds and threw them around on the ground. You know, we would have to dig a hole, drop the seeds in. That's a different type of farming, a different type of sowing. And even yet today, there are those who do broadcast sowing with certain types of crop. And in this particular region, they would take the seed and they would throw it out and then they would plow the field. They didn't plow the field first. They would throw the seed out and then they would plow the seed underneath the ground. So that may make some more sense to you, because I always wondered, how dumb is this farmer that he's throwing it on the path? How dumb is this farmer that he's throwing it among the, the thistles? But the way that they farm, throw the seed out, and then plow it under. So we have the sower. And then, of course, we have the seed that needs to go out into the soil. And we have the soil, four different kinds of soil that the seed is being thrown on. As we look at the soil, Jesus, as he talks about these four different types of soil, he'll talk about the path. Now, it wasn't uncommon in those days for there to be a path that would cut through the field. It would be the path that people would travel on. So they would sow the seed, they've sown it all over this area, and then they plow it under, but they didn't plow under the area known as the, the path that people would be walking upon. And Jesus said, the seed that falls on the path, what happens to it? The birds come, and they eat it up. 
Some of the soil would fall or some of the seed would fall on the rocky ground. Now, it would appear to have soil on the top, but there would be rocks underneath it. And in many of the regions there, they would be familiar with, there would be limestone beneath the soil. So there would only be just a a thin layer of soil that the seed landed upon. Then there would be that which would fall into the thorns. And I, I always wondered, well, why didn't they just go pull all those thorns out before they sowed the seed? And then I learned that the thorns were there, that during the summertime, they would take those thorns and they would use them in fires during the summer. And then, of course, we had the seed that falls upon the good soil. That is the parable. The seed that falls on the good soil brings forth some 30-fold, some 40-fold, some 100-fold. The next thing I want us to see in the passage is the parable's purpose in verses 10 through 12. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to to them. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Now there's two different groups here. Listen to what he says. To you have been given the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Okay, why use parables? Jesus said, for those of you who receive it, for those of you who are following me, this has been given to you with understanding, that you can understand these things. To those who are not following me, And here he quotes Isaiah 6, verse 9. It says, they may indeed, they'll see, but they'll not perceive. They'll hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So the followers of Jesus should understand, and they should get this. Those who are not following Jesus will not get it. But when we come to this parable, we find that those who are close to Jesus and his followers are not understanding the parable. So let's look at the parable's meaning in verses 13 to 20. This is one parable. We don't have to guess about what it means because Jesus tells us exactly what it means. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? So let me ask you this morning, do you not understand this parable? If you're wrestling with this parable, this should be one that you should be able to get. 
You have ears, you're hearing, you're a follower of Jesus. You should be able to understand this parable. Because notice what else he says. How then will you understand all the parables? It's as if Jesus is saying this. If you can't get this one, if you can't understand this parable, then you're not going to get any of the other parables. It's like, okay, as we advance in our education, there are some things we're taught that are simple, that are foundational, that we should be able to grasp. So in the scheme of things, following Jesus, okay, we're talking about kindergarten understanding of this parable. We should be able, as followers of Jesus, to get this. But if you're struggling with it a little bit, don't be too hard on yourself. Because the disciples were struggling with it as well. And they were right there with Jesus. So if you don't understand this, how then are you going to understand? Verse 14. The sower sows the word. So what does the seed represent? All right. The seed is the word of God that is being sowed. Verse 15. And these are the ones along the path where the, wo- war- where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. And they are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So the parable's meaning. Some seed falls upon the path. And when it falls upon the path, remember Jesus said the birds come and eat it? Jesus says, that's Satan. Satan comes and eats the seed that falls upon the path. Let us remember, we are in a spiritual struggle between light and darkness. We have those who are the enemies of the truth of the gospel. Satan does not want the word of God to spread. Satan does not want people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Satan is opposed to all of that. And where he can, he's going to come and he's going to grab that seed. That's the seed that falls on the path. Secondly, the seed that falls upon the rocky ground. It has no root. Notice in verse 17 it says, When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. 
the seed is sown, and immediately they say, man, I received, this is great, I'm going to follow Jesus. And there are all kinds of evangelistic methodologies that I have seen in the past used that are deceitful in the way that they are used and deceitful in the, the message to where we basically tell people, if you walk an aisle, uh, you're saved. If you raise a hand, you're saved. Well, you may be. There are a lot of decisions that have been made that way. But I remember the, the evangelistic follow-up techniques I was taught very on that says, if someone walked the aisle and said, I believe in Jesus, and they pray, don't ever get, tell that person, you never need to question whether you're a Christian or not. You never need to examine yourself whether or not you're truly saved. Following Christ is more than an emotional decision. Following Christ is a decision of our will. And those who only make emotional decisions, and I've seen it over and over and over again, they seem to spring up right away. And they are gung-ho, man. They're, they're here for everything. They want to sign up for everything. Uh, they'll contact the church. and They'll say, where do you need volunteers at? I'll volunteer in 35 different areas. What can I do? Herrick? They'll sign up for seven Bible studies. And then you see them gradually fall away. And in many cases, it's not gradual. It's almost immediate. Because what happens when they face some tribulation, and all of us that follow Jesus are going to face some tribulation in our lives, or persecution, arises on account of the word. Well, to be a follower of Jesus means we have to take these kind of stands because that's what Jesus says. They immediately fall away because there's no root. Next, it's that which goes into the thorns and the thorns choke it out. Verse 19, Jesus says, but the cares of the world. What the world cares about chokes it out. And the deceitfulness of riches. You mean following Jesus doesn't mean I'm going to get wealthy? You mean following Jesus doesn't mean that everything's going to go great in my life and there's going to be no problems and no tribulation and no trouble whatsoever? You, that's not what I signed up for. The deceitfulness of riches, it has always been a battle with man. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. Cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. And that terminology, other things, it could be anything. It could be anything that we would put before God. Anything that we would put before Jesus. You know, we've talked about this in the past when we've talked about idolatry. 
An idol is anything that we put before Jesus. Most of us would not carve images and put them up on the mantle in our home. But there are people all over the world who do that. So we kind of as Americans say, well, we don't have any idols. We don't need to worry about that. No, we have other things that become our idols. Whatever we put before Jesus. And so Jesus says, the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But then, thank God, we have verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil, the good soil, are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirtyfold, Sixty-fold and a hundred-fold. Now, experts say that in this broadcast type of, of sowing, that a normal harvest, what they would consider would be an acceptable harvest, would be for it to produce tenfold. Thirty-fold is good. Sixty-fold is excellent. One hundred-fold is amazing but notice the word that falls upon good soil produces fruit true Christians always produce fruit there will always be some fruit of those who are the legitimate followers of Jesus that's the parable and its meaning. Let's have ears here and understand. As we close this morning, I want to first of all ask the question, what type of soil are you? What type of soil are you? Are you the good soil that the word of God has fallen upon? See, the, the word of God falls upon our hearts. Are you good soil that you've received the word of God? And that word of God has grown up in you and is producing fruit within your now, throughout the scriptures, we are warned that we should examine ourselves to make sure that we are in the faith. And so I would say to you this morning, what is the fruit that shows that you are a follower of Jesus? What fruit do you have in your life? Now, I'm not as much concerned about the quantity of the fruit as I am about the presence of the fruit. See, Jesus doesn't seem critical at all of those who bring forth 30-fold or 60-fold or 100-fold. But if it falls on good soil, it's going to produce some type of fruit. So if, if someone were examining your life and you were going to prove to them that you are a Christian, what fruit would you show them? 
What type of soil are you? And if you're here this morning, you know, I, I can remember the questions are always asked when you read this, this parable. Well, which of these individuals are saved? And I think that's pretty obvious in the, the parable, but I can remember asking that question, and you wouldn't believe all the answers that I've gotten. I, I, I've heard before, well, you know, as you look at the soil, uh, three out of the four in the, the, the parable, they're all saved people. The rocky ground, the thorns, and the good soil, they all are believers in Christ. I asked that question, someone else said to me, well, they're just two of the four soils are true Christians. That which falls on the thorns because it grows up. It's eventually choked, but it did grow up and didn't fall away immediately, and that on the good soil. And I'm thinking, really? Do do you get the meaning of this parable? The meaning of the parable, I think, is very clear. Only that that falls upon the good soil and brings forth fruit, those are the only ones who are truly Christians. And I've heard all kinds of false things taught from this parable. I've been told, yeah, you share the gospel and one out of every four people will come to know Christ as Savior. Really? I don't see Jesus explaining that here when he told them the meaning of the parable. You know, we're not responsible for the results, folks. We're just responsible for sowing the seed. And that's our responsibility as Christians. So what are we doing to sow the seed, to get the word of God out there? Because the word of God will always accomplish its purposes. It will never return to God void, but will always accomplish what God has intended. The other encouraging thing is that as we sow the seed, some of it will fall on good ground. Are you sometimes discouraged and think, man, I've witnessed, I share the word of God, I've done this, and and nothing seems to, to happen. Well, first of all, the seed doesn't turn into a plant immediately. It goes into the ground, it germinates, and then it grows up. The Apostle Paul, you use the illustration in Corinthians, that there's one man that plants, someone else comes along and waters, someone else comes along and harvests. Well, who gets responsible? Who, who gets credit for all of that? They all do. They're not in competition with one another. It's our job to sow the seed. It's our job to water it. And there'll be some that will also harvest it. Some plant, some water, some harvest. But the encouraging thing is there are those ready to receive the word of God. The spirit of God has prepared them. And if we sow the seed, it will grow and produce fruit. And so what are we doing with our responsibility? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you would say, Butch, I I recognize myself in this parable, 
And I'm not one that's the good soil. The Lord Jesus Christ wants you to come and know him. The Lord Jesus Christ, through his spirit, will minister to your heart and draw you to him. Won't today be the day that you follow Jesus? Will you not put your faith and trust in him? And for all of us who are believers, we need to sow the seed. And God will bless that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you've ministered in our hearts that we can know Jesus. We pray for those who do not know Jesus, Lord. May your spirit open their hearts that they will put faith and trust in him. Help us that we might faithfully sow the seed both here and around the world, to the glory of our Savior. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.